You got to get it done. This is Gateway City Sports. The rumors are true. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. Gee, that sounds kind of interesting. Gentlemen, start your engines. Romo on the shotgun here at the snap. Romo looking, dumps it off right side. Intercepted! Intercepted the goal line by Woodson! And there is your dagger! Brujol with a widespread stand. Arms out over the plate. Bickford from the stretch. So 1-1 one, one pitch. A play, and there it goes! Welcome to the Bleachers. I am Don Glenn, and this is Talking Sports on the Bleachers. It's a pleasure to have you here. We've had a few signings in baseball, and the annual awards were given out. You know, uh, there's been a shakeup in the college football playoffs, sort of. I mean, uh, I'll explain that in a little bit. And uh, there's something, oh yeah, he's back. I told you he would be. I sit down with U of I basketball legend Dion Thomas, and we're going to talk a little bit of basketball, Illinois style. And we're also going to talk about a program for student-athletes that he's involved in with the U of I. And we'll finish up with a little hot stove Cardinal baseball. So sit back and enjoy the ride. (laughs) 
Hey, Talking Sports on the Bleachers is a proud part of Gateway City Sports. At Gateway City Sports, you can find a plethora of articles on the Cardinals, the Blues, the Missouri Tigers, uh, soon to be the Battle Hawks when they start playing again, maybe the soccer team, we're going to have everything, plus the Fighting Illini, and more. You know, there's also podcasts like the Team of Rivals. If you if you're a Cub, you like the Cub Cardinal rivalry. Well, then the Team of Rivals is for you with Ron Nuttall, Pete Geddes, and Elliot Duty. Dewey. Um, then <laughs> Elliot Duty, Elliot Dewey. I'm sorry about that, Elliot. Uh, yeah, Team of Rivals with Ron Nuttall, Pete Geddes, and Elliot Dewey. There, I got it right. Um, that's a winter podcast with Ryan Jenkins and Josh Brown. They deal with Cardinal baseball. That's for sure. Uh, they have a lot of great guests, and uh, they do a good job. Uh, then you have the two for three is back. It's back. It's back. And it's the Moose Mike Stevenson. And, uh, of course, there's the Derek King Sports Show with Derek King. Imagine that. All righty then. We got a lot to cover, um, or we try to cover a lot, I should say. But uh, if there's something that we don't cover that you follow, let us know about it. We'll see what we can do to get take care of that for you and get some get somebody on there. So we're going to get started. Leading off, Major League Baseball has announced its annual awards, and I am a little late in getting some of these out because they were earlier in the month, but I want to try and get as many of them as possible at one time. Uh, first, the Gold Glove Awards were given out in the National League. Catcher JT Realmuto, uh, Realmuto, excuse me, uh, from Philly. Uh, first baseman Christian Walker from Arizona. Second baseman Brendan Rogers from Colorado. Shortstop Dansby Swanson of Atlanta. Third baseman Nolan Arenado from St. Louis. Left fielder Ian Happ from Chicago. Center fielder Trent Grisham from San Diego, right fielder Mookie Betts from L.A., pitcher Max Freed from Atlanta, and utility player, the first time they gave a utility award out for the Golden Glove, went to Brendan Donovan of St. Louis. In the American League, the catcher was Jose Trevino, first base Vlad Guerrero Jr., uh, excuse me, Trevino's from New York, Vlad Guerrero's from Toronto, second baseman Andres Jimenez from Cleveland, shortstop Jeremy Pena from Houston, Third base, or uh, yeah, third base Ramon Urias from Baltimore. Left fielder Stephen Kwan of Cleveland. Center fielder Miles Straw of Cleveland, and right fielder Kyle Tucker. No, he's not from Cleveland. He's from Houston. Uh, pitcher Shane Beaver is from Cleveland, however, and utility man was J.D. LeMahieu from the Yankees. Silver Slugger was also announced. And it's actually most a lot of the same guys, if you really want to look at it. Uh, in the National League, catcher J.T. Romuto. Uh, first baseman Paul Goldschmidt from St. Louis. Second baseman Jeff McNeil from New York. Shortstop Trey Turner from L.A. Uh, Nolan Arenado. Uh, Mookie Betts. Kyle Schwarber from Philadelphia was an outfield silver slugger, as was Juan Soto from San Diego, D.H. Josh Bell from San Diego, and utility player Brandon Drury from San Diego. In the American League, it looked like this for the silver slugger, Alejandro Kirk 
from Toronto was the catcher, first baseman Nathaniel Lowe of Texas, second baseman Jose Altuve of Houston, shortstop Xander Bogarts from Boston, third baseman Jose Ramirez from Cleveland, outfielder Aaron Judge from New York, uh, Julio Rodriguez, Seattle, and Mike Trout from the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, DH was Jordan Alvarez from Houston and Utility. Silver Slugger was Luis Araras from Minnesota. Rookie of the Year. Brendan Donovan finished third, by the way, for that for St. Louis. But uh, Rookie of the Year in the National League. Second baseman, Michael Harris of Atlanta. Uh, excuse me, that's Michael Harris the second from Atlanta. Uh, and the American League was outfielder Julio Rodriguez from Seattle. Uh, let's see, Cy Young. That went in the National League to Sandy Alcantara. Uh, former Cardinal uh, pitcher, and the American League went to Justin Verlander from Houston. Uh, Alcantara's with uh, uh, Miami. Uh, in the MVP, the National League winner, as everybody thought was going to be there, uh, is Paul Goldschmidt from St. Louis, and the American League winner, uh, starting pitcher, outfielder Shohei Otani from the Angels. Manager of the Year, New York uh, Mets Buck Showalter and Cleveland's Terry Francona. Uh, the Aaron Award went to first baseman Paul Goldschmidt of St. Louis and outfielder Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees. The Roberto Clemente Award went to third baseman Justin Turner of the L.A. Dodgers. Free agent signings going on. Um, uh, Anthony Rizzo stays at the Yankees, two years, $40 million. Um, it's just above qualifying, actually. Uh, um, I think qualifying is 19.5, so he gets a, an extra million dollars uh, for two years. Tyler Anderson stays in uh, L.A., but goes from the Dodgers to the Angels. He gets a three-year deal worth $39 million. Uh, Martin Perez accepted a qualifying offer from the Rangers. Jock Peterson accepted a qualifying offer from the Giants. Clayton Kershaw accepted a one-year deal to stay with the Dodgers, but terms has still not yet been released, at least not that I can find. Uh, still a lot of names out there on the free agent market. You've got Trey Turner, Aaron Judge, Wilson Contreras, Danby Swanson, Carlos Correa, uh, and then you've got Carlos Rund pitchers like Rondon and Verlander, Jacob DeGrom. So still a lot of names out there. And I don't expect anything really to happen and start moving until the winter meetings. Uh, that's when you normally see a lot of these guys go, especially a lot of the big fish. And once you get a big fish to fall, like a Trey Turner or an Aaron Judge, um, Rendon, as far as the pitchers, Rendon, Verlander, DeGrom. Once those guys, once one of those guys falls, they'll kind of set the market as to where everybody else is going to go. And I'll get to all the Cardinal stuff later uh, when I do the uh, Cardinal part portion of the show. The call of fifth touchdown. Under further review. Uh, college football playoff picture got just a little bit hairy Saturday, and there was a couple teams that were worried, or at least the fan bases were worried. I don't know if the teams were, but the fan bases were. As both Michigan and TCU had to kind of survive some late quarter and have some late quarter heroics to uh, keep their unblemished record and their playoff positions alive. Um, the Tennessee Volunteers, who had been on 
just waiting for somebody to slip and fumble, slip and stumble. They slipped and stumbled themselves and pretty much took themselves out of the running for a playoff shot. Um, and in a twist that I didn't really see coming, because uh, I just really didn't think their record was that good, USC has now moved into a prime position to kind of slide right in there and take a spot if this is, if they uh, uh, somebody falls. So I didn't see that one coming. Um, in the latest AP poll that was just released, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TC are still one through four. Um, and of the three, Georgia, uh, Ohio State was the only one that really had a convincing win, um, as Georgia did beat Kentucky uh, by 10, but they only put up 16 points to do it. So, you know, uh, you wonder, was the offense on autopilot or something for them, or what was the deal? Or was is Kentucky playing a good defense? I just don't know. I didn't see the game. Um, Michigan needed a field goal in the last nine seconds to win at home against Illinois, and TCU kicked the field goal just as the time ticked off the clock to beat Baylor. Uh, so now, getting to the Illinois game, after the opening drive... Uh, uh, which was the touchdown for Michigan. Illinois clamped down on the defense, and they didn't allow Michigan another touchdown the rest of the game, um, which was fantastic. Um, uh, but they kicked, I think it was like three field, four field goals in the, uh, and three in the last quarter to, to beat Illinois. There was a couple of bad calls, and uh, Blake Corum, uh, for the Wolverines. Part of the problem I think the Wolverines had in the second half, especially getting the ball into the end zone, was the fact that Blake Corum was not available. He went out late in the first quarter with an, or excuse me, late in the second quarter uh, with an injury. He didn't come back into the game, so uh, that probably affected that. Uh, but Illinois had a 17-10 lead at the half, uh, or excuse me, after three quarters, um, and, but they just couldn't uh, couldn't build on it, and a series of mistakes and questionable calls in the last quarter um, gave all gave Michigan all the chances they would need and uh, put the game away. And uh, Baylor and TCU had a, a pretty good uh, uh, slugfest going on. It was a 14-14 deadlock at the half. Uh, two field goals in the third quarter to put TCU up, and then. With five minutes into the fourth quarter, Baylor ended up with two touchdowns and an eight-point lead. They went for a two-point, or excuse me, they, uh, uh, two minutes to go. TCU was within two points after they had scored a touchdown. Um, they lined up for a two-point conversion, and it failed. Um, and then they would get the ball back, and then uh, with just like I said, three seconds left, they hiked the uh, hiked the ball. And I guess from what I was, what I've been told, or what I was reading. It looked like a fireman's drill with guys running off and running on the field. But I guess from what they said, TCU actually practices that. They actually practice getting, uh, changing an offense and, and putting in the special teams and the kicking team with with very little time left. So, uh, you know, kudos to them because it worked because they got a 40-yard 40, 40 field goal to win the game. Um, I mentioned Tennessee. They ran headlong into a buzzsaw. I mean, they just got ripped apart as the Gamecocks in South Carolina put up 35 points in the first half 21 of those in the first quarter um, and then pretty much just went on to cruise to a 63-38 win uh, now that essentially I said that pretty much takes Tennessee out of the running gives them two losses now um, their only hope really is that uh, uh, they well I don't really think they have one 
um, the only only hope I that they might have is that Georgia loses the next their next two games um, and Tennessee can win and uh, the only issue there is then you to for Georgia to lose it's it, I'll get to it in here in just a second uh, it, it's kind of convoluted uh, but it dropped the Gamecocks down or excuse me dropped the uh, Volunteers down from uh, number five to number ten in the uh, under playoff rankings. Um, LSU beat UAB 34 to 10, moved up to the five slot. They were right behind uh, Tennessee in the six. Uh, USC beat UCLA 45, 48 to 45, and moved them up to number six. Which okay, I can see that, but um, maybe. But uh, I still don't. I still don't like UCSC's strength of schedule. I, I just don't. Uh, Alabama and Clemson, Clemson also moved up one slot each with victories over Austin P and Miami, respective, respectively. And then Oregon, uh, they beat number ten Utah, and they went. They jumped three spots from twelve to nine, uh, moving ahead of Tennessee. Now, in like I said, LSU in real terms, they played a really, uh, they played a tougher schedule than than USC, um, and uh, I think also than Oregon and, and a couple others. But here comes the question: uh, As I said, last game of the season for USC is Georgia, so. Conceivably, they could give Georgia. Well, they could give them two losses, but I don't see Georgia losing in their game prior to, to LSU. Uh, but they could give, give Georgia a loss. They would be then uh, LSU. I mean, would be uh, Georgia would be at eleven and two, or excuse me, LSU would be at eleven and two, and Georgia would be at twelve and one. So you know, Ohio, either Ohio State or Michigan are going to have a loss. They've they got to because they get they have to play each other at the end of the season. So one of those two is going to have a loss. So you're gonna you could conceivably end up with two one loss teams, and then you still have if Clemson wins out, then you've got a Clemson team that's twelve and one. You've got if USC wins out, a USC team that is eleven and one. Although USC does have to play Notre Dame, so that could. Knock them out, uh, which again would would move Clemson up. Um, if Georgia beats LSU, you're not going to put a three loss LSU team in there. So the way I'm looking at it, the only two teams that have a chance really to crack um, the the uh, playoff picture at this point, in my estimation, are Clemson and USC. Uh, providing, of course, that we end up with two one-loss teams in the playoffs as it sits. I don't know if that's going to happen, but you just can't tell, you know. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's just going to be a weird situation before they all send And, you know, there's a lot of people. I, I've heard a lot of people saying, well, they want, uh, with the Illinois game, uh, there was some really questionable calls. People were saying, well, they wanted... Ohio State and Michigan both be undefeated when they play each other at the end of the season. You know, okay, maybe there's truth to that, but prove it, okay? Um, I don't think anybody can prove that, and as much as we want to, some people might want to believe it, I just don't know. But yes, there were a couple questionable calls, and I won't get into those because that I'll get started on a rant that'll go for the next two hours if I do. So anyway, uh, so you know, still a lot of stressful moments for a lot of these teams, um, and uh, we're just gonna see how it plays out. You know, um, you know what else is stressful? It's buying a car. 
You know, but it doesn't have to be. It really doesn't have to be. Because the Fifth Street Motors, located at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri, they're going to help you find the vehicle you need, no matter what brand. See, Fifth Street Motors believes in giving you the best price on a pre-owned vehicle that's going to fit your budget. So give Brandon and Don a call today at 573-259-1306 and tell them Talking Sports on the Bleachers sent you. And now for the College Notebook, my interview with Illinois basketball legend Dion Thomas. Hey, I have him back. I told you I was going to do it. I knew I was going to do it. So here it is. Mr. Dion Thomas, Illinois basketball legend, is back with me today, and we are talking about uh, a number of different things. We'll get to Illinois basketball. But what I want to talk to you about, start with Dion, is what you're actually involved in with the university, the, the iFund. Sure, sure. First, thanks for having me back. Uh, we had such a good time the first time that, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to bring me back on. And, um, you know, the, the topics you cover, I thoroughly enjoy. So thanks for, for having me back. But, you know, to start off, I, I am the Associate Director of Development uh, for the University of Illinois Athletics. Um, working out of our Chicago office. So we cover more, mainly the Chicago region, uh, the Northern Illinois region, sorry, but then also Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, uh, Indiana, uh, and parts, you know, and other, as well as other smaller areas. But, you know, what the iFund does is, is a tremendous, um, source for what the, the athletic department does for our student athletes. Um, and it, we have our donors, uh, and I know a lot of people uh, thought or think that the athletic department is funded by the university. It is not. Um, it is a totally self-sustaining part of, of the university and on campus, but everything we have to raise, we have to raise money for all of the things that we have. And this is where the iFund comes in at, because it's the avenue that we use to fund those, whether it's uh, brick and mortar stores, where, uh, buildings where there's scholarships, uh, the student athlete experience, all of those things are funded, uh, through the iFund. And it wasn't the iFund when I was in school. Uh, they just call it a grants and aids. Uh, I can't remember what they call it, to be honest, because I didn't know. I didn't realize the importance of our alumni base, uh, our supporters when I was a player. I mean, I truly didn't realize it until I uh, started working in this space and learned how the sausage is made, so to say. And I don't know if you've—I <laughs> don't know if you've ever heard my my Hall of Fame induction speech, but before I walked off of that stage, I, I wanted to each person. Um, that was a donor at the time when I was coming along, and, and even today, to say thank you. Uh, and, and it's a big thank you after learning that, you know, the gifts, the investments, the donations from our fans, friends, and supporters are what made it possible for me not to only just play at Illinois, but to graduate from the Illinois, to be able to attend the University of Illinois. Because I would not have been able to afford that if not for my scholarship. 
You know, I, I wouldn't be its all-time leading scorer if not for the men and women and families that made an investment into scholarships, you know, which basically was making an investment into me. You know, and one of the things I always try to tell people is the gifts that you give uh, that goes towards scholarships or, or student athlete experience. So when I say student athlete experience, they, they, there's, well, and they didn't have this when I was in school, but they do now. Uh, it teaches kids how to live or what happens kids. Teaches these student athletes that once they graduate from Illinois, how to network, get a job, do all of these other right. things. There's a wide base of things that go on within that student athlete experience. But back to me, I would not have been at the University of Illinois without my scholarship. And I am a firm believer that it changed not just my life, but the trajectory of my family. You know, I grew up on the west side of Chicago, Don. You know, we, my family wasn't going in the right direction. You know, most of my family members were, you know, have been incarcerated or were dealing with drugs or on drugs. I mean, my mom had a, a very uh, difficult experience with drugs. I am a first graduate in my entire family. A huge portion of that is because of my scholarship. Uh, you know, without it, you know, as I said, maybe I'm a statistic. Maybe I'm not, I'm again, not sitting here talking to you. But what it did do, it gave me that opportunity. And what has happened since then, my brother has, my younger brother has graduated from college. He's working on his second master's degree. My, wow. had multiple cousins that I had brought down to college. I mean, brought down the champagne that have gone on to get their degrees. Uh, unfortunately, one of those um, cousins passed away. But what has happened? Both of her children have gone on to graduate from college. My my brother's daughter is already talking about going to college. My oldest has graduated. My youngest is now a freshman at Arizona State. So it, it has permeated throughout my family that we do not have to struggle and and live that certain you know that life on the other right. side of of the tracks you can have and be something and strive for more and that's what you know me earning that scholarship did at illinois and that's what the iPhone does not just for individuals like me but for men and when other boys and girls whatever color ethnicity background you come from it changes lives now um you said okay, no, this is just for the for student athletes, correct? Or is this? It is. Is that any sport? Well, there, in some shape, form, or fashion, the iFund pays for all uh, of the things that go on with uh, student athletes. Like, for example, um, let's take a non-revenue sports. But non-revenue sports aren't bringing in money. But the scholarships and the money that comes in—I mean, the money that comes in through the iFund pays for the budgets of those non-revenue sports as well. Um, and, and most of those sports still receive scholarships. Like baseball um, has X amount of scholarships that they get to use towards their teams. Now, baseball is a non-revenue, you know, doesn't generate revenue. Same thing with gym gymnastics, tennis. But all of those kids are on some shape, um, some type of a scholarship, all due to the iFund. Now, how does the iFund differ from and I know it does but how does what is the difference between the I fund and NIL money so NIL 
can only, well, let me first explain what NIL is for those people that may not know. So NIL is short for name, image, and likeness, which has given student athletes an opportunity to make money off of their name, image, and likeness, you know, so off of their person and, and who they are. Whereas when I was in school, that wasn't possible. Uh, I, I played many times with myself on the video game, but I never see, received one cent for being on that video game that made hundreds of millions of dollars for EA Sports. You know, when a university would sell, you know, or one of these other companies would sell a Deion Thomas jersey, I never made one cent from that. Now, there would be some people that are like, well, you know, you're, 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 you're earning a scholarship. And I get that. You know, but your, my scholarship, let's say on the high end is $150,000, whereas those games make billions of dollars. I mean, there, there's nothing fair um, in that. So now, through it through California, when California first passed the, the rule or law, then that opened up the gates and allowed individuals to make money off their name, image, and likeness. So that is a totally separate thing from the iFund. The iFund is all athletics. It goes directly to all of our student athletes, both male and female, of course, as well. But NIL can be for specific teams, but it's normally a deal like for um, an individual person. Michael Jordan and Wheaties or Michael Jordan and Nike would be kind of what that would look like. Whereas, you know, nowadays these kids have some have t-shirts, um, but they all have to do something in order to earn whatever their NIL uh, money is. Um, whether it's, you know, going out to visit schools or, or doing some things in the community, they all have to do something. So they're to totally separate um, things. NIL is for specific players mainly. Um, and then they, of course, the I fund is for and funds the athletic program as a whole. You talk about scholarships and stuff. Are the like the uh, walk-ons? Uh, are they? Do they benefit from from the I fund as well? Well, it's a little different. I, I won't say they benefit from the I fund because they are walk-ons, so they're not receiving scholarships. But the things that they do get, they are a part of the team. So, you know, the, the I fund goes to pay for the tutors and, and things, for example, that would be tutoring the team. The equipment, the, the clothes, the shoes, the I fund pays for all of that stuff. And so since they are, they walk on, for example, from that standpoint, you know, they, they get the advantage of some of the best tutors on campus, being able to use and wear all of the facilities and same gear as the team that they're a part of. Um, having the, and this is a great thing for both walk-ons and managers, being able to be in that environment where they're interacting with um, you know, our donors and, and people that later on in life could be their very bosses, you know, or people in companies that they work for. So there are a lot of benefits that come from it, being the walk-on and being the manager, um, that they receive benefit from the iFund, not directly like a scholarship, for example. Uh, well, I, that's, I mean, that, that just sounds like a, sounds like you have a lot of fun doing that. I mean, that just, uh, you know, to try and change somebody's lives that way. That's, that's which is which is one of the reasons I took this job, Don. I mean, to be quite honest, I mean, 
I wanted, when Josh approached me about it, I was actually working in government relations. So I was a community relations coordinator for the University of Illinois system. So I, I was a community relations coordinator for the campus of Springfield, Chicago, as well as Champaign-Urbana. So I was busy to the gills with, with really trying to build a name, reputation, and connection uh, with both local state politicians, whether they were also uh, community organizations. Uh, so I was really busy doing that. And, and Josh approached me about coming to work back in athletics in our Chicago office. Um, and I didn't look back after that. But the main, one of the main purposes of taking that job is because of what it gave to me. And when I had an opportunity to do some things for these young men and women by working with donors to help fund their experience and scholarships and things of that nature. I couldn't say no. It was very difficult because it's kind of, it was like going full circle, a full 360 degree circle for me, you know, starting off as an athlete there and now being able to work to provide a, a better situation for the ones that are there today. Uh, it sounds like you. Uh, sounds like they got the right guy for the job. I can tell you that right now. That's, uh, <laughs> that sounds, sounds fantastic. Okay, so let's get to some basketball now. Yes, uh, okay, this basketball team. How? I mean, we, we saw the first three games. I mean, of course, it wasn't. Uh, we're not going to kid ourselves and say that was Power Five competition in those first three games. <laughs> Uh, but you saw that they could just they could they could take over, um, and especially the young kids. Mm -hmm. And then you go into this weekend tournament they just had. How, what progression have you seen from those first three games to what they to what they showed in that weekend tournament? Well, let's go even further back, um, and then I'll I'll work okay. my way forward to this weekend. When you when you lose your whole coaching staff and then you have to replace that coaching staff with three new guys, that's very difficult. So I have to take my job, my hat off to Coach Underwood and and, and how he was able to do that. Building this right. team with Jeff Alexander, who was on the previous staff, bringing Chester Frazier back home and then bringing in Tim Anderson. So when you start off that way, you really have to look at how um, – the progression from that standpoint. Lose Kofi Colburn. You lose 80% of your scoring and rebounding from previous from the previous season. Trent Frazier, gone. Demonte Williams, gone. Uh, um, Alfonso Plummer, gone. Kofi Colburn, probably the, not probably, the biggest piece in the country, gone. So how do you replace that? You replace that by going out and putting your nose to the grindstone and doing what this Illinois team did. Um, hiring uh, Tyler Underwood at, at his position, which is really to simplify it, is to watch the transfer portal and then to take those names and those players from the transfer portal that he believes fits Brad Underwood's um, vision, and you pass those off to the assistant coaches, and then it's their job to go out and recruit these kids. What do we do? We bring in uh, Terrence Shannon Jr., who is on the uh, Naismith watch list for this year. Played has had a great career, a very good career at Texas Tech, but was always injured. 
Um, had to suffer through a few things. Didn't average more than 12 points down there, which is still commendable. But is I think he will have a bigger uh, – he definitely has a bigger role and will be allowed to play more of who he is. Then they also bring in Matt Meyer from Baylor. Matt had a terrific career at Baylor and will have a terrific career for us as a 6'9", 6'10", three-point shooter, you know, that's already on a bunch of the NBA draft boards. Dane Danger comes in. Uh, he came in the previous year, but another player through the transfer portal that helped us get better. And then not to mention our four freshmen. You know, and basically Dane Danger is a freshman also. He only played three games at Baylor before being injured. Um, so you bring him in, and then you bring in Sky Clark, who was one of the best guards in the country. Uh, now, he had an injury, wasn't able to play his senior year, so they first had him as a five-star guard, and then he dropped down to a four-star, but people still recognize his talent. Sincere Harris, one of the best and longest guards and most active guards coming out of Ohio, also a top um, 50 player in the nation. Then you bring in Ty Rogers. Uh, who finished his last year in the Chicago area, but from Flint, Michigan. Another super talented player. Uh, why am I drawing a, a, brain, a blank on the fourth freshman? But you, you bring in these freshmen to go along with... Uh, Jalen, Jalen Epps. Jalen Epps. Oh, my God, he's the one that's really lighting it up. And how, <laughs> Jalen, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, as I said, I'm just coming back from Vegas, so we got in really late last night. So I'm 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 working off of coffee and and lack and a little bit of sleep. Um, but you bring in and Jaden Epps, who is out of Baltimore, very Chester Frazier like, um, but to be quite honest, is a better, a lot better score. And even Chester will say that. And now you have to mesh all of these guys together. So you talk about the progression. When I went to watch their first practice, Don, I was like, oh, boy, see a lot of talent. You see a lot of speed, athleticism, and length. And I'm like, man, we're going to need a lot of time to get this thing to going, get it up and going and people connecting. I went back maybe a few weeks later, and I was like, whoa, maybe we won't need as much time. <laughs> they look really good. Then I've watched several more practices leading into the first three games where they looked like what I thought they would early. Um, some people were, I was getting a bunch of texts. Dion, I thought you said this team was going to be great shooters. We were, we went one for 18 to start the game. <laughs> first game jitters. I'm like, relax. You gotta, you gotta let guys settle in. This is, this is a totally different situation than any of these guards. I mean, these freshman guards have had to be in and, you know, the lights come on. It's a little bit different. They had not practiced in the State Farm Center. So like, give them some time and, and you'll, you'll like what you see. Game two, game three was game still struggled a little bit from the shooting, but you could see that guys can not, could make shots. Terrence Shannon lit it up. Jaden Epps lit it up. You know, Dane Danger, the, 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 uh, it wasn't a surprise to me because I knew the player that he was. I played with his dad in high school. Didn't surprise Coach really? Underwood. I did. Um, didn't surprise Coach Underwood. They all knew about Dane's ability to score the basketball. But to watch him lose 
uh, 50, almost 60 pounds and become the rebounder that he has been, I think, surprised them. But uh, so to watch their growth, but like you said, we knew these weren't, these first three games weren't barn burners. They weren't going to be teams that should really challenge them. But they did what they were supposed to do and what these games were supposed to do, which is build cohesiveness, build a team, but yet you're expected to go out there and beat these teams really bad, and they did. And then you run into a big step up in competition this weekend. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, you yeah. thought I'd be, you know, that that's like going from 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 uh, little league to single A. I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, you know, again, nothing against the three teams we played, but I mean, you know, you're going from those guys to a. Uh, a, a UCLA uh, yeah. in Virginia, or even if we'd have played Baylor, I mean, yeah. um, that that's a that is that's a huge step up. I mean, I was I was kind of I, I didn't get to watch the uh, UCLA game. Um, I, I cut my cable a long time ago, so I have to stream everything, and sometimes all the games aren't on the streaming services. Right, uh, but uh, I was listening to you and and and. Uh, uh, was it Scott Beatty? Scott Beatty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was listening to you guys talk, and uh, I could feel the action, the way you guys were describing it, and especially that one stretch where Sincere Harris came in and just said, okay, we're not losing this ball game. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you have to look at a turning point, I think, in that game, it has to be when he came in and just literally defensively took that game over for a three- or five-minute stretch. Mm-hmm. No, you're 100% right. I mean, and this was an early, this is early on for everyone. So this was a great pre-Thanksgiving tournament with four teams, three teams for sure, but four teams, including us, that are getting looked at as possibly being final four teams. So this was a very stiff and tough competition. UCLA, uh, led by Tiger Campbell and, and Josie, who's on one of the best uh, teams in the country. But I will say this. I, I, I had us winning by six. I, I thought uh, with our depth and from what I had seen from our freshmen, um, they didn't play like freshmen. And, and so I wasn't sure, uh, but I felt that they would be able to withstand this. They did in the beginning of that game. They looked great. Our defense was excellent. Then we went down, and, and you, as you said, you could see the heads hanging. You could see guys not believing. And then, as Coach said, and I quote, I got smart and put sincere hairs in the game. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then he turned it around. But what he also did was show his team and give them some spark and some belief that they could play and play on that level. And, and I think that was a that was definitely a turnaround for what Illinois has done. I mean, TJ, uh, Terry Shannon Jr. was playing extremely well. As we know, he was shooting the lights out. Dane Danger had come in and had continued to do what Dane Danger was doing, which was scoring a lot of points and rebounding. But that they were still down 15. And Sincere Harris's energy, his his dogged determination turned things around. They never looked back after that. You know, so had the day in, in between, and then we ended up facing a very, very good Virginia team. And if you I, I look at our performance, 
having sat there with Scott and I talked to Coach Underwood and, and asked him a question about this in the post game was the difference between us winning that game against Virginia and losing that game against Virginia is the fact that Virginia is older. They're yeah. older. They're more secure in who they are and what they do. Whereas we have eight new pieces that are all figuring out still who they are and what they're supposed to do. And even the returners. Our returners are young. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, Coleman, Coleman's a junior, but Coleman didn't play a whole lot until last year. You right. know, his year, sparingly last year more, you know, and so now he has a bigger role. R.J. Melendez is still trying to figure out, you know, his position. He's just a sophomore. You know, so we're depending on some really young pieces uh, to step in and, and play like upperclassmen. And, and I think that was the defining factor in that game against Virginia because we played them tough. We played them really well. I mean, if you look at the, the stats, what we did against them defensively was really impressive. But what an older team does is make you pay for making mistakes. We had 13 turnovers, which is good for the pace that Illinois plays at, but they scored 17 points off of our 13 turnovers. And then what they also understood, uh, Virginia, that is, is how to get to the basket, how to draw fouls, how to, you know, do some things that, you know, older, older players know how to do. And they ended up shooting 32 free throws where we only shot nine. So they made more free throws than we even attempted. And, and that's what you get when you have more experienced teams. So, you know, I look at this weekend as a win for for Illinois, and I think everyone else did too. I mean, we went into this week weekend ranked 19th. We're 16th today. So even taking a loss, uh, you we still moved up three spots. So the the sky's the limit. Yes, pun intended. The sky is the limit <laughs> for this for this Illinois basketball team. Well, that's that leads me into my next next thing here. You brought up Dane Dane Donja a couple times. The one thing I'm finding that I find is fascinating about him, and like you said, he came in last year, so he had he cut his teeth in practice against one of the best centers in the nation in Kofi Coburn. Yes, and you can see that somewhat in what he's doing, coming off the bench and averaging a double-double off the bench. Mm -hmm. How many players do that? That that is not normal. Uh, And his efficiency, the efficiency that he plays with, uh, is definitely a pleasant surprise for everyone. But like you said, when you have to go up against Kofi every day, you pick up a lot and you learn a lot. To go along with, as I mentioned before, I played with his dad in high school. His dad was very similar uh, player to he is. Very skilled, you know, able to put the ball on the floor, pass, all of those things. And Dane can do those things. His dad's just a lot smaller than, than what Dane is. <laughs> you know, and even when we were in Vegas, the guys from Baylor, the, the staff from Baylor walked in and was like, okay, what'd you guys do with the other half of Dane? You know, <laughs> so you have to take your hat off to, you know, Adam Fletcher and, and to Dane for putting in the work. 
that he needed to do in, in the off over the last year to get himself in the position where he is now, which is like you said, he's coming off the bench. Uh, he's leading the nation in field goal percentage. Uh, he's shooting about 87% from the field. And those aren't dunks. Uh, I mean, oh, that's no. either. But with his skill around the basket, he's almost unstoppable. One other guy that, or a couple of the guys that I, that I was able to watch the Virginia game and mm -hmm. watching some of those guys is the fluidity that it seems you've got between uh, Shannon, uh, Terrence Shannon Jr. and uh, Melendez and Clark and Rogers. And they just seem like they've been playing together for four yeah. or five years. Uh, and then you've got Coleman, who um, I think um, the ESPN report, I think it was, I can, I think it was Fran Fraschilla, uh who did the game uh, for ESPN on Virginia. He, I think he called Coleman Hawkins a silent assassin. <laughs> uh, because he, he's kind of like, he said, you don't notice he's there until he does something. Yeah. You know, and, and I would and, agree with Coach Fran 100% on that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, no, I, I would agree with Coach Fran 100% on that. Uh, it, he He's on the draft boards for in the NBA for a reason. Coleman Hawkins, that is. I mean, at 6'10", you know, to be able to defend every position on the court, to be able to shoot the ball and the skill level that he has, I mean, this this kid has, is so talented, but it goes back to what you you just mentioned, and this is what I was talking about earlier. These guys have been working together since the summer, since this fall. Not Matt. Matt Meyer took a little bit longer to come in. He didn't get in into the fall, but those guys have been working together since in the summer. Matt comes in in the fall, but what you have with this team are great personalities. They don't care who gets the uh, notoriety. They don't, they don't really care who is supposedly the top dog. Now, of course, you know those talents come out and people understand who is, and that's Terrence Shannon Jr. But you know, as Brad tells those guys, we're everyday guys. Everybody comes to work. Everybody comes in here to do their job. Everybody works for the betterment of the team because you're paying for the name on the front, not the name on the back. And the great thing is all of those guys have bought into that, and all they want to do is win. Watching these guys play and listening listen to the games that I've been able to listen to, watching some of the highlights, for a young team, they don't seem to have a lot of weaknesses. What do you think the biggest weakness is on this team, besides it being young? Well, coming into the season, I, I thought leadership was, was going to be a weakness. Uh, I, I thought that was kind of their crutch um, last year. I, I thought it really hurt them, and it, they limped into this. Uh, but that has been, I think, believe, solidified by, with Terrence Shannon Jr. Uh, and once we get Luke Goody back, I, I think that it will be another natural leader that will really step up. You know, and another kid that is, you know, is a natural leader and working himself into that position is Ty Rogers. So I, I, if I had to think, I mean, it would have been that, but they have quickly, um, shown me that they, they will have the leadership necessary to move forward. Now, as far as what's 
going to hurt us, yeah, youth is important. And I mean, and this, we can't overlook that. Because you can be the top player, the best player in the country in high school. When you step up to play at a Big Ten level uh, team, it, it's totally different. You, you're coming in and having to learn uh, what it is to play on this level. You're still developing your body, even though most of these guys had Big Ten bodies when they came in. But you're still developing the speed and the quicks in order to play on this level. So that inexperience is, is something that they're going to have to grow into. I think this is one of the things that has caused so many turnovers. Um, these first few games, I mean, they're averaging like almost 18 turnovers a game. And that has been a, a big issue with this team. But that also goes with the fact that they haven't been playing together very long. And, and they're still getting their basketball legs under them, even as much as they work and as hard as they work in practice. You know, anyone that's played this game understands that, you know, when you walk out there on the court, it's a whole lot different than practice. You know, it's a lot faster. It's more focused, you know, in, in practice. And I'm not going to say you could cheat because it's not cheating because you're still working, but you know what's going to happen. When you're in a game, you have an idea of what's going to happen and how you need to react. So all of those things come into play. Um but I would say their their lack of time playing together, um, of course, their their inexperience at this level is also you know kind of standing out right now. They have, I believe, like I said, corrected the leadership issue. And other than that, I mean, there are not very many holes on, on this team. Uh, I mean, this is a very a really complete team. Now we don't have a Kofi Coburn any longer. But who in the country does? There are very few teams that yeah. do. And exactly. you're right, because that's just not the way of modern basketball today. But for those that do, I mean, we have Dane Danger. Dane is, is big enough to battle with a lot of those guys. Now, I mean, not a Zach Eady who, who oh, right. over you, but <laughs> no one has a Zach Eady. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I mean, this, this team doesn't have very many holes outside of building that camaraderie, and the younger players becoming older players. Hey, another name you just mentioned here that I was going to get to, when Luke Goody comes back, how is that going to affect the dynamic of the team? You mentioned leadership, but um, in the terms of the, of, the, of the rotation and the play, and I mean, it's going to give us another outside weapon. That's, that's for sure. I mean, he sees what he can shoot from the outside is, is amazing, but how will that fit within within the the structure? I mean, because maybe he is, but I just don't see him as that fast to keep up with those guys. <laughs> well, the great thing about it, and I do not disagree with that, but what Luke does bring to the table is a headiness that not too many people in the country have. Uh, he's not as fast as those guys, but he understands. Okay, I, he understands. I'm not as fast as him. So he understands how to play angles, how to get guys in, in position. I mean, he's, again, he's a sophomore, but he plays like he's a fifth-year senior. He's, he's not going to get sped up. He handles – he knows how to do his job. And as you mentioned, he's one of the great, best shooters in the country, not just in the Big Ten. He's one of the best shooters in the country. And he brings a calm and a leadership um, when he's out there on the floor that I know will, will help this team. As far as rotations – who knows? I mean, this team goes, with Luke coming back, will be able to go 10 deep. 
So I think a lot of that is going to have to be situational. Um, where you needed, who's needed. For example, Sincere played the first three games a lot going into the UCLA game. Didn't play very much until he was needed, and they put him out there and he had to react. So it's, it's be ready when your number is called. And, and I think that, I mean, I, I, and I know Luke will come in with the same mentality. Yeah, I mean, he is a perfect Brad Underwood uh, player. I'm going to be ready when it's time for me to be ready to do my job. Who knows what it, when that is, how that is, but he'll be in the rotation for sure. You know, uh, Goody, watching him, he kind of almost reminds me he's a better he's a better shooting version, but of Lucas Johnson. Yeah, that's a good example. That, that's a very I, good example. He's 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 he like you said he runs the floor well, even though he doesn't he's not fast. He's he's heady. He's always in the mix. He's always putting himself in the position to do something. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, he's a bit, little bit better shooter than Lucas was. He's a lot better <laughs> shooter than Lucas. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think Lucas took many three pointers. <laughs> uh, no, but well, well, I'll give you, I'll give you one even better. He reminds me a lot of Lucas's older brother, who I played with, Brian Johnson. Oh, okay. So okay. Brian was a walk on. Was a walk on my freshman. My no, my junior year. By the time I, by the time my sophomore year came around, Brian earned a scholarship and, and had a scholarship for the the next three years that he was at the University of Illinois. And he tells the story, and it's really funny. He was like, "Yeah, I earned two scholarships while I was here at Illinois." And so I asked him, "I'm like, what do you mean you earned two scholarships?" He was like, "Mine and my brother's." <laughs> so he was like, "If I didn't do what I was supposed to do, they would not have been recruiting Lucas the way they did." But I mean, Brian was that kind of guy. He was I mean, he's probably a little bit better athlete than Lucas. Uh, I mean, than um, Luke, but great shooter, very smart, played his role to the T. And, and I think that's what um, that what Goody brings to the table, as well as you know, having been a quarterback, just a natural leadership and air of confidence about himself. One final question. Um, with everything we've got with all these young kids and with the way things are now with college basketball or college sports in general, really, mm-hmm. how is Underwood going to keep everybody happy and on this team going into next year? I mean, because you know you're going to lose the three – or well, two, the, the two transfers and, and Terrence and, and, and Matt. Um, you know, I, I can see maybe if Coleman gets the right people talking in his ear, he takes – gives up his last year and goes NBA. But how do you keep a Harris, an Epps, a Rogers, uh, a Clark, Melendez? How is he going to keep all those guys happy? One one of the things is is, is out of his control. And we talked we touched on it a little bit earlier and that's NIL. Right, right. If then if the NIL situation is better here than it is in some other places then they, they, you know, that's a huge consideration. The next thing, as far as playing time, they're going to play a lot as freshmen, and they're going to be leaned on to be really good as freshmen. So you would think and look forward, if you project forward, coming in as a sophomore, you're going to be looked at and it's the same, you know, on an even higher level with the freshmen coming behind you. But to be quite honest with you, Don, you never know. 
So you always have to prepare for the worst as if those guys are going to be, be leaving. And that's one of the things Coach Underwood said to me. He was like, Dan, I get to lean on my junior college experiences. And having been a junior college coach myself, I understand exactly what he's talking about. Your team could transfer, I mean, transform every year. It could be one player. It could be nine players. So you, you really have to be forward thinking and looking ahead at what the other possibilities could be. And like coach says, he's a developmental program. So he's looking into bringing guys in that one fit what he wants to do Two understand that they're not going to be one and done and out of here, but guys that are expecting to go through the program that coach and, and Fletch have put together for them. That'll give them the best uh, uh, opportunity to be successful and play at the next level. So, I think they have it down from that standpoint. Now it's going to be up to the kids to continue to understand the vision uh, of what Coach Underwood and Fletch and the others have put together for them and then them working it. And if they decide to leave, you be ready to pull the trigger on the next thing coming because that's just the way this world is today with the transfer portal and NIL and all these other things. You're not going to be able to keep everybody happy, but you show enough better to be ready to fill in those spaces. No, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Okay, hey, Dion, again, it has been fantastic. I love having you on. Uh, we're definitely going to be doing this again as we go further into the season, and uh, I guarantee before the Final Four, you and I are going to get together on this. Uh, you ever get down to Champagne? give me a call. We'll have to go out and have, a, have, a, have, a, have one or two. Well, I will, because you know I'm in Champagne often. <laughs> All right, buddy. <laughs> All right, uh, appreciate you, my friend. All right, thanks a lot. We'll do it. Have a good one. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dion Thomas. Uh, you know, I, I made the comment. Uh, we talked offline a little bit, and I said uh, that I enjoy interviewing him because not only is he a former player and a broadcaster, but he's also a fan. So he understands a lot of the game, and and he's just a, a, a wonderful. Um, Wonderful guy to interview. So, um, hey, you know, we all we all know how important it is to stay protected. You know, sometimes life throws you a curveball, and well, that's why you need Allstate. You know, the Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. You know, they offer home, boat, auto, motorcycle, business, life insurance, investments, and much more. They offer a customized approach that's unique to your situation to make sure you, your family, and your assets are properly protected. They also offer great rates and savings. So give Sean and his team a call today, 636-764-6294. You know, they'll help you with an insurance quote right over the phone because hey, that's the way they roll. And even give them a call if you just want to talk sports because, hey, they do that too. You know, we all have busy lives. And you can email Sean at seanwiley at allstate.com. Talk to him about your coverage options. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. Under the Arch, the 2023 Major League Baseball Hall of Fame ballot has been released, and it includes former Cardinals Carlos Beltran, John Lackey, Jahani Peralta, and Scott Rowland. 
Albert Pujols wins the 2022 National League Comeback Player of the Year. Justin Verlander got the American League version of that award. And if you've been following my series of articles on Gateway City Sports, this offseason, the main position I identified was catcher to go after. And to me, a number of people, um, including Katie Wu, John Denton, and, and others, uh, the obvious choice is a trade for Sean Murphy. He's the one that ticks all the boxes. Good defensively, he can hit, he can hit for power. Um, he's not going to be a prodigious 40, run, 40 home run guy, but he can get you 25-30. He's, he's, he's the guy that I think that they should be concentrating on to go get. If not him, then Alejandro Kirk from, from uh, uh, Tampa Bay. Um, I just don't think, and I know a lot of people out there, and I see it on social media, you want Wilson Contreras. I just don't think he's a good fit for St. Louis. Yes, he's got a good bat, but... The one thing that uh, that struck me with, and he hasn't actually backed down on this at all, from what I've heard, when uh, um, uh, John Mosaic was asked about this, was he said it's going to be a the best all around catcher. That's not Wilson Contreras. I don't care. That's not Wilson Contreras. And some of you guys, I heard uh, uh, Mike Stevenson on his program two for three the other day. Uh, mentioned that you know a lot of people are saying he would be a good get just because he's an ex-cub and just rubbed the Cubs' nose in it. And you know he made the comment, if that's why you want Wilson Contreras, you want him for the wrong reasons. And I'll agree. I 100% agree with Mike on that. If if your lone reason is to get Wilson Contreras because he can hit home runs for St. Louis, you're looking at the wrong thing. Uh, you need a guy back there that's going to handle the pitching staff, that's going to be good defensively, and I'm sorry, that's not Wilson Contreras. Now, if you want him for DH, different story. I can I can get behind him as a DH, not as the catcher. Now, uh, right now, I think though, uh, after catching, I think they really need to take a look at the outfield because I think that's the next problem I think I see on the horizon. Uh, you got Tyler O'Neill, who was hurt last year. Dylan Carlson and Lars Newbart. Carlson had a down year. Newbart struggled the first half. And then you've got Juan Yepes and Brendan Donovan as your depth. I mean, I guess you could throw Burleson in there as well. Um, but I'm, I'm going to ask the question, is that a championship outfield? I don't think so. I really don't. Don't get me wrong. I love... Tyler, I love our young guys. I love O'Neill. I love his power. I love Newt Barr. Newt Barr can hit the gaps. He can run. He can. He's a good ball player. Uh, same with Carlson. But right now, they're not a championship caliber outfield. Um, you don't know what Tyler's going to do when he gets back, when he comes this next season. You saw what he can do when he's healthy. When he's healthy, the boy can mash. I mean, the boy can absolutely put it out. Um, plays great defense, speed, but he's been injured a lot. He's been injured a lot, and Carlson. I don't think he's, he's never really gotten on track. He's had a decent year last year, uh, but this year he struggled, um, and he had some injury issues. Uh, Newt Barr struggled the first half. Now, he did a lot better in the second half. Uh, I think he went like 240, 366, 480, 
10 home runs, 26 RBIs in the second half of the season and do 200 at-bats. So he can do that. Uh, I'd like to see that average up a little higher, closer to 260, 280. Uh, but, you know, with his kind of defense, and, and I can I can live with, with a 240 average. Um, I can't live with much lower. And, I, and like I said, it, unless the other two guys are really going to be mashing it, and they're not right now. Um, so you got to look at it. Now I have people, and I also hear, and I can hear you out there. I hear you. Jordan Walker, Don, come on. Jordan Walker, he's going to be. Look, I love Jordan Walker. From what I've seen and, and some of the people I've talked to, the kid's legit. The kid is le as legit as it gets. But he's going to be a rookie. And you really, are you really going to tell me that you're going to depend on a rookie to carry your outfield? I don't think you can. Um, is he going to be ready next year? Maybe, but you got to. You also have to understand he's going to be jumping from Double A to Major League ball. I would rather see him spend maybe the first at least couple months in Triple A, get his feet wet, get that next level of competition so that he's ready. Um, I know a lot of people say he's ready, and I did say he was legit. But even though he may be legit, he's still going to need to adjust when he comes up just like any rookie does. That's why uh, a number of guys, and, and we have these discussions all the time at Gateway, You know, prospects are prospects. You don't know what they're going to do. And that's the 100% truth. Even though we know and we see what Jordan Walker's doing in the minor leagues, you know, uh, or the new guy they just brought up, they just picked up this year, Moises Gomez. They're destroying minor league pitching. That doesn't mean they're going to destroy major league pitching. We can think they will, and I think, with given some of the, how diluted some of the pitching is, yes, I think they will do quite well. But we cannot guarantee that. That's not something we're going to say yes. Now, does it mean that a proven guy is going to do this? Is going to no? We saw that with Marcelo Zuna. Of course, now he did have an injury we didn't know about, but you know we saw it with Corey Dickerson. This is just this last year. Um doesn't mean just because they did it before that they can do it in. And I also heard a lot of people, and I'll get to this in a second, uh, Cody Bellinger's name. I'm going, with, I'm going with the same thing on Cody Bellinger. You just you don't know because is he going to be the last couple of years that he's done? We'll see. But I'll get to him in a second. Um, I mentioned um, the guys that we've got down there, Gomez and Walker. Some people have said when Mason Wynn may shift to an outfield, outfield position. You know, but again, here you're talking rookies, and you just don't know what's going to happen. And especially if a guy switching a position like that, uh, uh, yes, Nolan Gorman did it, but he's still adjusting. He's still adjusting. So now, so that means I think they're going to have to look at a free agent or a trade for for an extra outfielder because they don't have any outfield depth. They really, really don't. If you look at it and look at the roster, there is no outfield depth on this team. So. My thing is, it, it, there's one free agent out there. I mean, yes, Aaron Judge is out there. I know. We're not getting Aaron Judge, okay? Bank it, forget it, not happening, move on. Um, so that means you go down to the next one. Jock Peterson's already gone. So that means you go Mitch Hanniger, uh, 31-year-old, who's a, he's not a real big slugger. He'll get you 20, 25. Um, and that's 75 RBI, maybe 90 in a good year. Um, 
his market value is running about $15 million. So that's the only drawback I see with Hanniger. At 31 and $15 million, how many years has he got and how many years do you want him for? How many years are you going to need him for? So I think that's something you have to look at with him. That's why I would like, I would almost rather go the trade route for an outfielder. And if I'm going to trade for an outfielder, I got two names. First one is Anthony Santander. Uh, Baltimore, 28 years old, switch hitter. He's got good power. He's got above average defensive skill. And he's not a free agent until 2025. So you've got to have this kid for a couple years if you pick him up. Uh, now he's going to cost you a couple mid to high level prospects. You know, possibly a Burleson uh, and a pitcher. Um, maybe Baltimore would want to take a look at Mason because they're rebuilding. Uh, they had a decent year. They challenged, but they're still rebuilding. And they, they're not reloading. They're still rebuilding. Um, as I said, Win. I think Win's going to get dealt if they go for Sean Murphy. I think Win gets dealt for Sean Murphy. Um, so uh, or Kirk, either one. Um, but Santander would be one I would look at. Another guy I would look at, and I'll probably catch some flack for this one, but I don't care. Um, is former Redbird Adolis Garcia? Now here again, he gonna cost you more than just a couple prospects. You're gonna have to pay. You're gonna have to pay. You're gonna have to pay. Pay to get uh, Garcia. Um, but you know he's a guy. Good power. Good outfielder. He can. He can. He can get the job done. He's somebody you put him in the outfield. The outfield's already fifty uh, percent or seventy-five percent better than what it was when he started. When it started. Um, and I think right now outfield depth, like I said. That is our problem. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, we have to go out and get a starter. We can go ahead and get a, a, a fourth outfielder, like a Hanniger. Hanniger would be a fourth outfielder type. But I would rather see us go out and get a big man or a, a, a starter, somebody that can come out and, and play from day one and be that be that uh, solid outfielder. Um, now, DH also I, is, is some place that I'm, I'm a little concerned about. Um, not quite as much as the outfield because I think you know we've got a number of guys that can float in and out of the DH. And uh, the one name that keeps coming up is as as who's got the jobs right now or job right now is uh, um, Juan Yepes. And while I don't have a problem really with Juan Yepes because I think he did very well and I think he's going to do very well, um, you know. Again, we're talking a young kid, a rookie. We're talking somebody who does not, has not had the uh, amount of major league experience that uh, you, you really that team's going to need. Because you know, if you look at the way the Cardinals are constructed, with Yachty gone, your veterans now are Goldschmidt and Arenado, and that's it. Well, Wayne right in the pitching side, but I'm talking the field, the in the, the in the field at the moment. As far as the eight as far as position players go, the only real veterans you've got are Goldschmidt and Arenado. Everybody else, I mean, you could maybe consider uh, O'Neill because he's been around uh, for four years now, so you could maybe consider him a veteran. But look at the rest of it: Gorman, Donovan, Newtbar. Edmund, Kinsner, Herrera, if he comes up, you know, they're all young guys. So, and I think you you really kind of need to to see about trying maybe getting a a, a, a young uh, an older 
uh, more experienced player. And I think a guy that strikes that for me, and he is an older player, uh, that's Justin Turner from the Dodgers. Um, he's a free agent. Um, probably wouldn't take, you know, a, a whole lot of his, you know, his age level to get him. But as a DH, you could get him for a couple years. Now he is, is he is only a right-hander, and I think right now St. Louis is looking is looking for somebody from the left side for power. Um, but I think as a right-hander, as a right-hander, he hits both lefties and righties very well, right around 270, 275. Um, a little more power against right-handed pitchers than left-handed pitchers, um, but he's a guy that's he's been around. He's he's experienced. He's been in playoffs game playoff games. He's the kind of guy I think that even as a DH can can bring a lot to a ball club. Um, I know people want to get in on the shortstop thing. Oh, we should have done a shortstop last year. We had to put up, and now Edmund is over playing out of position. Okay, stop. First of all. Tommy Edmond was a shortstop in high school, college, and all through the minor leagues. That's his regular, normal, natural position. Shortstop. Get over it. Okay? End of story. Secondly, Paul DeYoung last year, and the reason we did not go after the big guy, the big fish that were out there, because quite frankly, I think that Mo and the front office was scared of what these guys were going to cost. Um, I mean, who knew Correa would, would take a one-year contract? Everybody had him figured for a minimum seven-year contract. Most people had him going 10 years on a contract. Um, you know, and, you know, quite frankly, I'm kind of glad we didn't get the story, um, as everybody was hoping to get, because look what, you know, he didn't do, he didn't do jack, really. Um, the guy I really wanted last year was Marcus Simeon. Uh, I thought he would have been the perfect fit for St. Louis. Um, but the reason Paul DeYoung was kept and retained as your shortstop was money. He was only going to cost him $6 million. And, you know, had he been able to correct his, his, his offensive rules, he would have been perfect. Uh, we know what he can do. He can match. He can get you 25, 30 home runs a year. He can get you 60, 80 RBIs a year when he's right. Problem is, he hadn't been right since 2020. The last three years, Paul DeYoung, and I am sorry if it upsets his, his people, his family, uh, or fans, he hasn't been right for three years. Everybody has seen it. I mean, he's... He started out as a starting shortstop by the end of the year. Somebody else was starting at shortstop. So, at this point, I think, and, 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 Mo, and Mo did make the comment, and I take it for what it's worth. They asked him who the starting shortstop was. He said Tommy Edmond, but that DeYoung would get his opportunity to make himself right. Now, how long they're going to wait before they decide he's not right, I don't know. You don't know. We're going to have to find out. Okay? Um, but if they do go after a shortstop, uh, I, I like Aaron Judge. Trey Turner's out of the mix. Just bank on they are not getting Trey Turner. Um, 
can they afford a Trey Turner? Hell yeah, they can afford a Trey. They can afford Aaron Judge. They're not going to do it. Because they're not going to put that kind of money and resources for that length of time. Now, I have heard reports that Turner's only that Turner will accept a seven-year deal. That might trigger St. Louis to get in on it if they could work a seven-year deal for Trey Turner. I don't know if it'll happen. Um, I don't think it will. Like I say, I think they're they're going to go in with the idea that Edmund is the shortstop. Uh, DeYoung is going to have to win the job. It's not his anymore. Um, but if they, I think if they were going to go after shortstop, like I said, Trey Turner's not the one that I think they'll go after. If they go after anybody, um, I think it'll be Dansby Swanson. He will become a lot cheaper. Um, and quite frankly, I think he would actually almost be a better fit than a Turner. I know. Don't yell. I hear you already. Yes, Turner is a a big talent. Turner is also very versatile. But what I mean by Swanson being a bit, I think he would be a better fit um, for what St. Louis is built for than uh, than Trey Turner. Uh, Trey Turner would make the team 100% better. Don't get me wrong. Trey Turner will bring, will make could make St. Louis a championship caliber ball club just by himself. Um, but I don't think they're going to go that route. I I, I really think. They're going to, uh, I don't want to say go bargain basement because Swanson's definitely going to cost them more than than, than uh, DeYoung's contract, I think. Uh, if I remember right, I think he's running about a 10 or $12 million market value as DeYoung is only a nine. That's his current contract. Um so, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Pitching-wise, I don't know if we're going to go pitcher. Um, I think if anything has taught us, we should be looking at the pitching market. Maybe not necessarily get a number one, so getting a number one guy like a Rodon if you can. Uh, but I would not be upset if they picked up, say, a Chris Bassett. Um, somebody like that that is... Um, well, the guy I really would like to have seen him go after would have been uh, Martin Perez, uh, but he's already re-signed, so that that that's out of the books. Um, but uh, you know, somebody like a Chris Bassett uh, in, in that, or, or re-sign Quintana. I mean, I think that would be the the to me. If you're not going to go after a big boy like Rodon or Degrom, then what is wrong with re bringing back Quintana? Yeah, it gives you a lot of left-handers, but now you've got flexibility to float those left-handers in and out of the bullpen. Or you can go with a six-man rotation, um, which might not be a bad idea either. I mean, you stop and think about it, you know. Uh, but whatever they do, we'll find out. And I'll keep, I'll keep on it. Um, my next article is going to... Uh, focus on the pitching, uh, and then I'll address shortstop with the final. So it'll be a five. It'll be a five-part series. Um, like I said, part three I just finished here just not that long ago. I'm working on part four now. It'll be the pitching. So hey, that's it for me. Um, I went a lot longer than I intended to tonight, but uh, the interview with Dion, I I didn't want to cut any of it out because that was just a fantastic interview. The man. Um, he's going to be on the show again. He's definitely a friend of the shows. 
so I want to thank Dion again for being on today. And next week, we're going to have Russ Robinson. Yes, right. Good old Uncle Frank's going to stop by, and he and I are going to sit down and talk some NCAA football, the football playoffs, and we're going to delve into some basketball. Uh, it's going to be our uh, our monthly NCAA special, so look forward to that next week. And if you enjoyed this show, you like this show, let me know. Uh, contact me on Twitter, at TSOTBGCS. You can check out the show's website, uh, TalkingSports-OTB-GCS.OnPodium.com. Or you can always check out GatewayCitySports.com. I want to thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you later, boys and girls. Thanks again for joining us, and you have been listening to Talking Sports on the Bleachers. Here's hoping you have a great sports day.